This episode is sponsored by Arculus and Bullish. Stay tuned for more information on both of them later in this episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, sports, art, trading, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, some of Bitcoin's most passionate supporters were once ardent critics and skeptics. I often talk about the idea of strong opinions loosely held, the idea that the smartest and most savvy investors often change their opinion on an asset or an asset class when presented with compelling information, new information. Well, today's guest is certainly one of those people. He was a notorious Bitcoin critic who now is investing in basically every facet, seemingly, of the ecosystem. Doesn't hurt that he's also a famous TV personality and probably earned his first billion dollars long before Bitcoin was even an inkling of a thought. So it's an honor today to have Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here. Thank you. So as I said before, a lot of people started as skeptics of cryptocurrency and of Bitcoin in general. If someone presented you Bitcoin a few years ago on Shark Tank, you probably would have told them to take it out behind the barn and shoot it, right? So what, what was your early reason for such skepticism? So in, in 2017, when I put on my first position of some Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, at the time, the regulator, if you recall, was, was very vocal about their... Um, their position on crypto, and particularly at the time, tokens. There was a lot of tokenization going on. Uh, regulator was not happy about it. Those of us that worked in the financial services industries, either as um, you know, chairman or issuers of securities, knew very well uh, that that we would be risking our mainstream businesses if we were going to be become so-called crypto cowboys and start to fight with regulators, which is. You just don't want to do that when you're when you're in the financial services industry. You can't afford it, and your clients don't want it. And I was in the indexing business, so when I saw the criticism, I immediately realized, well, this is not going to go anywhere. And I was a critic, but things changed, and I changed too. And I'll tell you what happened. I started to notice in other geographies, in other uh, countries, the regulators were starting to be more progressive about the use of cryptocurrencies as payment systems or storage of value. The Swiss, the English, the British, the Germans, the Canadians, the United Arab Emirates, the Canadians were the very first to issue an ETF with the underlying being Bitcoin, an ETF with the underlying being Ethereum. And they were extremely successful in terms of products. And so I began to realize that change. But what really tipped me, that I remember the moment that I said, okay, I've, I've got I've to get serious about this because it's here to stay. It's not going away. And, e and even our own domestic regulators were starting to offer you know, palm branches towards the industry, realizing how fast it was growing. But for me, the specific use case was last year when we sold off a significant portion of our commercial real estate in our operating company. And it was, it was significant because it was over a 30% weighting of what we were managing. And we generated a lot of cash. I called the cash desk up. I said, what can we get on this cash while we redeploy it? 20 basis points, 0.2%. Now, inflation right now is over 5%. So that means I'm basically being taxed you know, at around 4.8% on, on holding cash. And that, that was not a sustainable model. That's when we first started investing in stablecoin and staking stablecoin and getting a lending desk going. And all of that happened at the same time. I hired multiple people for this. 
Um, it, it is a nascent industry. It took me six months to get my own internal compliance officer on board and even longer to get my auditors, the external auditors to sign my statements. But that's all past us now because when I started in stablecoin, I think there was $2 billion with the USDC. Now it's 30 billion. So clearly I'm not the only person trying to solve this problem. And it's become a, a part of our very broad portfolio of holdings in crypto and blockchain and tokens and coins and NFTs and everything else. Um, I consider it to be the 12th sector of the S&P. It just hasn't been designated that yet. I hope that that uh, certainly becomes the case and it does eventually get designated something like that. But anecdotally to the point that you just made, interesting story. I used to passionately try to get my friends to buy Bitcoin. Uh, Wall Street guys, hedge fund guys, you know, all guys that went to the University of Pennsylvania with me and I had very little success. The thing that got them interested was the ability to just park their dollars in USDC and earn 10% a year, right? So we used to sort of joke that Bitcoin was going to be this gateway to cryptocurrency and everyone would come in that way, that way. But it seems that actually what you just described was the reason that most of your average people or your normal investors got passionate about crypto to a large degree. You're right. You're absolutely right. The idea of staking your assets and getting some kind of yield on it has become prevalent now in most of the wallets that we manage and maintain, whether it's centralized or decentralized. So we have a lending desk. We look, we look, you know, we stake our, our holdings and we try and earn what we can't on cash. And so what I'm hoping for this year, I would like to see this issue resolved. As you know, there's been some controversy with the regulator around stable coins. There's some litigation out there around, around a particular stable coin. That's not helpful. None of us want to litigate the regulator. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It would be better that we get a ruling on what the terms are on stable coins so that we could, you know, right now I have to treat it like a stock, like an equity. I can't own more than 5% of any portfolio. When in fact, I don't think stable coins are stocks. I think they're cash proxy, but I can't use it that way because the regulator ha has not spoken yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm very constructive that there's so much demand for stablecoin as a payment system and also a way to at least match inflation that the regulator would make some decisions about it in 2022. That's what I'm hopeful of. Yeah, I agree that the notion that a stablecoin is a security is nonsense. I mean, one of the major premises of the Howey test is that you have to have an expectation of gain by buying it. You're obviously not buying a stablecoin, assuming that the price is going to go up. But you touched on something so important, which is that we lack regulatory clarity. I think at this point, a lot of people in the crypto industry would even prefer hard-handed regulation that comes with clarity of what you can and can't do than this world that we live in now where you have no idea what you're allowed to do and fear litigation from regulators down the road for something that's not even illegal yet. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. I, I, I actually would like to see the rules set. I think it would be good for everybody involved because there's a tremendous amount of institutional capital sitting on the sidelines. I service institutions every day and sovereign funds as well. And most of them have not even got into the asset class in any way whatsoever. So when we talk about you know Bitcoin, which is probably one of the most desirable assets for a pension plan, we have to deal with ESG issues. We have to deal with issues around compliance on um, ethics, you know, where was it mined? All this stuff still remains out there. And it, you know, it, it, it's something that will over time get resolved. But for all of the excitement within the crypto community, it's a fraction of the potential of this market if we could get the rules. Now, I, I am encouraged that the regulator is, is taking their time to get it right because 
Our regulators should set the rules for the world. And everybody's waiting for that to happen. In the meantime, though, as an investor, I have to travel to different geographies to find out where I can invest, be compliant. Places like Canada, like the United Arab Emirates, like Switzerland. These are countries that have rules about crypto investing and you can be compliant in your own domestic where you're paying tax and in that country where you're making the investment. You just have to disclose it, which I'm happy to do. Right, but that's far too complicated for your average investor, right? And so it speaks to your point, if it's gonna have all this friction, then why even try? And you're obviously, you said, you're talking to sovereign wealth, you're talking to institutions all the time. Clearly there's some interest, but is this a conversation that you're having with most of them? Are they coming to you saying, how do we get into this? And then just looking for the best way to do it? Or do you still think that a lot of them are completely sidelined, disinterested and skeptical? No, 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 they are not skeptical. They are not sidelined. They are asking, how do I get into this? Let's talk about one specific problem regarding Bitcoin and how it's getting solved, okay? So as you recall last year, particularly at the Bitcoin 2021 conference, this issue around ESG emerged when many people were talking about it. Elon Musk made reference to it. Um, the fact that so much power was being used and in cases of some jurisdictions, coal was being burned to actually get a coin awarded. Now that is a big problem for a pension or a sovereign that has an ESG committee sitting above the investment allocation committee. So they look at every asset class, regardless of what it is to say, is it ESG compliant? And in many cases, in fact, most of them, they have deemed Bitcoin to be non-compliant because you can't know where the coin was mined and how it was mined and all the rest of that. Now, here's what's happening today to solve that problem. There are multiple jurisdictions now that are funding mining operations that are 100% ESG compliant, whether it be nuclear power, remnant electrical grid power, zero-based emissions, carbon credits, whatever it's taking. These are institutions that are going to own equity in these miners that will never sell their coin, so they'll know with certainty that the coin was mined according to the ESG mandate they have. They're not different Bitcoin, they're just Bitcoin that was awarded on a known basis where it was awarded. Now there's a fair amount of debate about it, but at least they're allowed to invest under that basis because their ESG committee says, okay, if you're using solar, if you're using wind, if you're using nuclear, we get it and we're okay with it. You're not creating carbon emissions that we have to buy offsets for. So this is a new world of mining coming. It's getting solved. I'm certainly investing in it. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be able to say, look, for all the institutions that I, that I deal with, all my coin is ESG compliant. It's all carbon neutral. So I don't have to deal with that issue anymore as I was dealing with last year. China gave the world, the Bitcoin world, certainly a gift by uh, banning mining in the country and allowing it to move to countries that were obviously more uh, concerned with the environment and just what you described. And that really has been, I think, a huge movement now in the space and is being solved, as you said. I actually sort of had this thought experiment last year, and it, there was a lot of pushback from the Bitcoin community that green Bitcoin, so to speak, as you described it, could actually eventually trade at a premium, uh, which people wouldn't love in the Bitcoin community, of course, to have uh, separate prices for two different Bitcoins. But I hypothetically could see a world where that happens. Yes, I also suggested the same with a wrapper that was set on the Ethereum chain. And I, I, I took a lot of flack for that um, because they don't want bifurcation of the Bitcoin market. It is one market 
The coins are one asset. It's just that in the early days, no one cared that the coal was being burned to create the electricity. And you mentioned China, you're right. Most of those stacks are leaving the country to other jurisdictions where they're going to be reassembled in a much more compliant fashion, whether it be a Nordic country or West Texas or wherever. A lot of that capital that was destined for China has been rerouted to much more compliant miners. So it's one thing, obviously, to change your sentiment and go from being a skeptic to being a fan. It's even another step to say, listen, stable coins make sense. We can earn a yield. We can fight inflation. It's a whole nother level to then become an active investor in the space, which you've done. So why did you decide to start really investing in the ecosystem? And what are your favorite plays at the moment? So here's the way I look at it. I've been in the software industry for my whole career. When it, you know, for the learning company days when we used to make software for reading and math test scores, I've been dealing with engineers my entire professional investing life. Bitcoin is not a coin. Bitcoin is software. Ethereum is software. Solana is software. HBAR is software. Polygon is software. It's all software. Now, I'm a very fortunate guy. I believe in investing in the hottest hand over the keyboard, the best teams, because at the end of the day, the only reason this is going to work is because these platforms provide some kind of economic value. And I argue to investors that say to me, what do you mean you're investing in, in crypto? If you're going to invest in Google and you're going to invest in Microsoft in core holdings in an equity portfolio, 5% each, that's very common, very common. What is Microsoft? It's software. What is Google? It's software. What is the difference between that and investing in Ethereum or investing in any of the other platforms I talked about? It's all the same with the added benefit that these coders are the hottest hands in the world right now. Meet the Polygon team. I met them in, in, in Dubai just a few weeks ago, became an investor in their deal because I love the fact they're aggregating transactions to reduce gas fees. Very productive idea. That's a great team. So for me, I'm placing my bets across all of these different platforms, not knowing with certainty what's going to work and what isn't, but investing in the software. So if you wrap your head around the idea that really crypto, cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies are all software, it's much easier if you're an institution to understand, okay, I get what I'm doing. Now, obviously, Microsoft and Yahoo stock or Google stock, I mean, is regulated. It's an equity. We don't have that platform yet for these software platforms, but it's coming. And my attitude is I wanna be invested now because we're in the first inning. So where do I have to go? I have to go to Canada, I have to go to Switzerland, I have to go to UAE, I have to go to Germany. And I do, I get on a plane and I go there and I find teams and I invest in them and India as well. Yeah, I have a very similar view on the market and approach and people often ask me, you know, if I want exposure to NFTs, which NFT project do I buy? Should I buy a board ape? Should I go, you know, invest in any of these small metaverse games? And I sort of tell them that these layer ones, as you described, behave like index funds. Just put a small investment into each layer one and you'll get the benefit of whatever happens on that chain. So it sort of echoes my own thinking. You've obviously taken it a step further by investing in the picks and shovels of the space, which we're seeing from a lot of venture capital and people, right? You have your platform, WonderFi, you just did the acquisition of BitBuy. I'd love to hear how that, how that materialized. Well, you're right. I, I'm a big believer um, in investing in the infrastructure of an ASN industry. It's the picks and shovels analogy for the gold rush. But in the case of BitBuy, that was the very first market exchange awarded by the regulator in Canada. 
And you've got to remember the regulator in Canada is very progressive. Again, they were the first to do ETFs in Bitcoin, the first to do ETFs in Ethereum. And it took years, but that was the very first award. And it has 375,000 accounts. So what you like about an exchange is you're agnostic to asset price. You, in fact, like volatility. And I know with certainty, and this reminds me of the early days of Amazon. I've been an Amazon shareholder for 17 years. It corrected 50% to 30%, 38%, 48% every year, sometimes twice. It was immensely volatile, but look where you are today. When it comes to crypto, same thing. So if you own the exchange, you are actually participating in the volatility and you're agnostic to the price, not just on Bitcoin, to Ethereum and other assets. And so for me, that's very important. And I like what WonderFi is doing because that's just one of their mandates. They're also simplifying decentralized finance because it's incredibly complicated to actually set up and maintain a DeFi wallet. Most people can't do it. So they're making that a lot easier. And I've got great partners, Josh Richardson, who's got 40 million followers of you know, Gen Zers that are very interested in crypto or part of this. It's a great team of investors. We love the management there. We like what they're doing in the Canadian market. And it's a way that I can invest and be compliant, 100% compliant. That's what really matters to me because I've got so many other investments in financial services that are regulated. I cannot afford to be offside for one second. So that's the way I look at it. And I would say something else here that's important. What's missing in this industry is the infrastructure to be compliant. So if I'm an institution, I want to put a billion dollars into crypto, what do I do? How do I mark to market? How do I show my compliance department every trade by the second, the same way I do with stocks and bonds? I need big platforms. There's where FTX comes in. I became a shareholder in FTX as well. That is an institutional grade compliant platform. You can get the reporting on there. It's centralized. You can manage a portfolio. You can do a you know, global search for, for, for whatever you want to do, but your compliance department can also see what you're doing, which is what you need. And so we need more of that. And that's very important. As they're growing that business, FTX stands probably in the centralized wallet space to be the best for institutions. And by the way, I am a paid spokesperson. So let me disclose that. But there's a reason. I'm using it. I'm using it. I use it. Right. Well, I know that you would never advertise something that you weren't using. And I think that that's the sentiment across the market is that FTX is the leader there. I just had Sam on the podcast for the third time last week. I'm a huge fan of everything they're doing and, and, and a cheerleader. And it's nice to be in Tom Brady's company as a spokesperson, right? I mean, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I got I to put a, put a football helmet on and you know, fool around with him on the, on the field sometime. I mean, the guy's wonderful. And I'm a huge fan, obviously. That guy is, is just, a, it's, it's phenomenal what he's done in football. It's just magic. But I love the fact that FTX is, is wanting to become a household name because it really is true that eventually everybody will use this asset class and you want to basically stake your market share now. That makes total sense to me. But what I was able to do, and it took me six months, it took a long time, when we were building up the platform to actually get my internal compliance department to even let me stake stablecoin, they said, show me the reports. How do we check in on the leverage you've got on at any one second of the day before the market closes? And that was the key to be able to say, look, here's, here's the FTX platform. Here's all my 32 positions. You can go online and look at it any second you want and we'll close out at the end of the day, although the crypto markets are 24-7. You can come on anytime you want and look at it. I started internal compliance, got them on board. Then I went to my external auditors and said, will you sign my statements? And they said, are you kidding? This stuff is unregulated. Six months later, I got them on side. So 
this is the birthing pain of every institution trying to get into this and getting their, their, their compliant departments, which have been around for decades, to actually work with this stuff when we have such nascent platforms. I think it's funny, and I said the same thing, Sam and I were actually discussing this. It's hard, obviously, to mark to market or know exactly what's happening at any given time for your risk manager, but it's actually far easier in crypto than it is in other markets, right? I mean, we saw, obviously, for example, Elon Musk go on Twitter and say, should I sell 10% of my Tesla shares? I believe that was on a Saturday. And on FTX, you could see, because it's tokenized, Tesla stock, the actual movement over the weekend before it happened in the market on a Monday, right? And that's the power of crypto trading 24 seven. Actually, you probably have a much better gauge of what's going on every minute of every day. Yeah, it is. I love the tokenization of, of an equity. It's, I'm, I'm very grateful for Sam for tokenizing Wonderfy because I love that company. And you know, he's also a shareholder in it. And it's a fantastic platform that we are able to offer 24 seven trading for tokenized form of equity, which is gonna be more and more you know, adopted over time. But the, the, real, the real issue here is to get, and I keep saying this over and over again, because it's, the crypto community is a fantastic community. There's so many great ideas, but we're not there yet until we can get the sovereign and pension plans to be able to allocate their three to 5% weighting, because that's where the real money is. And we're, we're just not there yet. We've got a lot of work to do. And you know what I love about the FTX guys is I've, I've had sessions with some of the designers and developers there saying, look guys, Add this report. We're going to need this for compliance. Add this report because it was born out of the necessity and need to trade globally. But now as, as institutions and compliant, uh, you know, people are starting to use the platform. They're adding those features that are going to make it better and better and better to be something an institution can work with. The FTX team is incredibly light on their feet. I mean, they can list an asset within an hour of being interested in doing it when it would take another platform literally months or years to do it. And I think that that's the benefit of being young and fast. So I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that if you give them feedback, they're immediately reacting and giving you what they need because they're notorious for that. They're famous for it. That's just something that is not going to exist in other markets. I've never seen an organization that's that large be this nimble anywhere. So clearly, Sam has kept that entrepreneurial vibe going um, right through as they've grown this into multiple countries. I mean, there's different teams. You can talk to the team that deals with the Middle East, talk, talk to the team that works with Canada, whatever. But the point is, it's very entrepreneurial. And they move quickly, as you suggested. I've really enjoyed working with them. So something that really resonated with me when you were just talking about the wonder, the wonderfied uh, deal with BitBuy is that it's a combination of sort of DeFi, decentralization, and a centralized exchange that's highly regulated. I think in crypto, there's this notion that it's very black and white, centralization versus decentralization, and it's a war. But the reality for everybody is that it's a sliding scale. Everything in the middle is gray. And the happy medium for most people is probably going to be somewhere on that sliding scale, right? Nobody, very few people are going to be fully decentralized and very few people want their money fully uncentralized platforms. There's another narrative in addition, I agree with those comments, but something else is emerging very quickly in the institutional market. Many institutions cannot actually own Bitcoin directly or Ethereum directly. So they take proxies, they try and find equities that are basically proxies to the volatility of the pricing of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And one of the narratives that they've, and I've heard this multiple times in just the last few weeks is, it's all about customer acquisition costs. So when you're acquiring a customer in a centralized platform, like an exchange with a dealer broker, such as BitBuy, 
And that same individual decides that they want to hold their NFTs in a decentralized wallet and you don't have one, all the money you spend acquiring that customer is lost as they go drift off somewhere else. You want to keep them in your ecosphere, which is why I love what Ben is doing over at Wonderfy, because he said, if they want decentralized, we got it. If they want centralized, we've got it. If they want a broker-dealer account, we've got it. So he's capturing his customers, 375,000 plus of them so far, many more to come, I'm sure, and offering decentralized apps and giving them full service. That really rings true to me as an investor, because now I can use this as an equity, give it a 5% weighting in a fund or whatever in, in my operating company and say, this is a proxy to anybody interested in dealing in crypto, whether it's centralized or decentralized, but the customer acquisition cost, the bigger it grows is less and less. That is going to be a constant. Companies are gonna survive in this space are going to consolidate quickly, get large, reduce customer acquisition costs and provide full service. That's what they're doing. And that's the mandate. At least that's what he's communicating to investors at Wonderfy. So you effectively have to become a one-stop shop for everything crypto and in doing that, make the UX and UI so simple that grandma can use it, right? And I think those have been the biggest challenges. Like you said, you have to go open this MetaMask wallet to put ETH and open this and go on this other platform. And you find that your money is in 17 different places. Your NFTs are in a different place. You can't get out to dollars in any of those places, right? So you need to go to a centralized exchange and it's complicated and most people don't know how to use it. To me, that is the biggest barrier to mainstream adoption. That is the best statement I've heard in weeks about how the problem is and same time the opportunity. It is so difficult. I had to hire three separate people just to manage our staking desk, just to deal with the fact that we're trying to maintain all these wallets and the security involved. We need more transparency. We, know, we need more security. And above all, we need more simplicity. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard because you've got hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, that are sitting on maybe 14, 15, $20,000 in their saving account making nothing that would love to make 6% a year if they could figure out how to stake a stable coin and they have no idea how to do it or get the tax reporting they need in all That's the jurisdictions the they have to report in. It's a nightmare, yeah. but such an opportunity. It is a nightmare and such an opportunity, absolutely. And you talked about you know, sovereign wealth and pensions, sort of this this, the final boss, I guess we would describe it, this huge wall of money that could come into crypto. And they tend to do it through proxies, right? We've obviously seen MicroStrategy stock described as sort of a, a Bitcoin ETF. You have them in Canada, Brazil, other places. But I think, in my opinion, a Bitcoin spot ETF in the United States would likely be the vehicle that would allow the really big money to come into the space. I agree with you. The minute an ETF comes with the underlying being a mark-to-market Bitcoin itself, that will be a multi-billion dollar ETF in 24 hours. That's my opinion. Because it will let you in any equity portfolio simply buy the ETF for the 3 to 5% weighting you want. Then you've got your exposure directly to the price of a Bitcoin. I don't like that product with futures because there's a lot of tracking error with futures. It's got to be the real thing. Now, there may be an issue around institutions that say, I don't know where the coin was mined, so I need it to be coins that I know are mined ESG compliant. You've seen a lot of that coming out of uh, BlackRock, the Larry Fink letter every, every year. I mean, we, it'd be really great to get some clarity because that's the largest asset manager on earth and they have a, their own ESG committee and they're dictating a lot of policy on hydrocarbons and all kinds of other issues. And generally speaking, it's being well-received by the institutional client. Bitcoin is not high on their list as a clean asset yet. So the industry has some work to do 
in terms of getting, and I, I keep saying this, it's all great, you know, if, if you want to buy some Bitcoin, but if you really want to see it achieve, you know, $100,000 and above, it has to be compliant on an ESG basis to institutions. It just has to be, because that's the next wave up. I think we're going to solve it probably in the next 24 months. Do you think that if that's solved, that that would be more fuel for the fire for the argument of a spot ETF? Or do you kind of have the feeling, my feeling, maybe I'm a skeptic, is that they sort of punted, they gave the futures ETF, uh, they shut the industry up for a, to a large degree and said, we're going to kick the can down the road and not even really entertain a spot ETF for quite a while. I think you're right. I wouldn't be that optimistic that the spot ETF is coming. I would be more optimistic that a ruling on stablecoin is coming. Yeah. Stablecoin is a massive asset class. Now, if Circle has to turn itself into a bank, they'll probably do it. I'm just speculating. But the point is, I use that platform too. And, and, it's, you know, and, and that platform is getting better and better and better every month. And so, it turn, again, it's, it's, it's all about compliance. When you're, when you're rolling contracts, 30-day contracts, and you've got your compliance department saying, where did that money go? Where is it right now? Where can I mark to market it at 401? The, the platform has to deliver that stuff. And slowly they are. So, slowly they are. I, I'm an investor in Valkyrie, which is one of the companies that launched one of the two uh, first futures ETFs. But even I am a skeptic of that, pro of that product for all the reasons that you said. I mean, you saw when, when uh, ProShares launched, they literally couldn't even buy enough contracts and had to go out two, three, four months, which obviously is just a massive, massive divergence from the actual spot price of Bitcoin. Yeah. Maybe the ESG argument is the reason, but I, I personally, I, I don't know, I find it very frustrating that they didn't just approve a spot ETF in the first place. Canada did it, right? Canada has made it happen. It's been an extremely popular product. It is very, very popular. Some American accounts can buy it there and hold it in a, in a Canadian account. There are rules that allow you to do that. But, you know, I want to point something out about ESG that a lot of people don't understand because I deal with it every day. You can have a debate about it when it comes to mining coin being awarded coin and, and you know the, the, the network fees that you get being different than the coin that's being awarded and all the rest of that. But having an ESG argument with your ESG officer about Bitcoin is pointless. That they're not going, they're not going to change their mind unless you can prove to them that it is done according to the rules that they have decided to standardize on. I find it hilarious. People say, oh, I'm going to go and talk to my ESG officer and convince them I can buy Bitcoin. No, it's not going to happen. It, and it isn't, and it doesn't. And so th this issue is not going away. It will come up again in Bitcoin 2022 this year in February. It'll be, it'll be a huge issue because the demand is insatiable. Somebody's got to solve this, and I think as an industry, we will. I'm looking at investing in miners that can prove to me that they're keeping their coin on their balance sheet, that I can be an equity shareholder, and they're 100% zero emission, or at least have done it in a way that they can prove in an audit that they are doing it sustainably and according to ESG standards. Everybody in cryptocurrency already knows about Hedera Hashgraph. It's one of the fastest, most secure, and trusted networks on the planet. But what they might not know about is the H bar foundation with a budget of 2.5 billion 
dollars already. They are funding entrepreneurs and projects that want to build on their blockchain and build within the ecosystem. Absolutely incredible. And they're not only giving them funding, they're actually helping them to develop it and then to get the word out as well. You guys should check out the HBAR Foundation and what Hedera Hashgraph is doing. You can do all of that at thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. That is thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. Do it now. Have you ever been trading crypto and during bouts of high volatility had your exchange go completely offline or seen the order books go thin and have absolutely no liquidity for your trade? I know that you have. It's happened to every single crypto trader, but it's not an issue anymore thanks to Bullish. Bullish is a powerful new exchange for digital assets that offers deep liquidity, automated market making, and industry-leading security. Combining the innovations of DeFi with the regulated environment of traditional finance, Bullish empowers users to trade with confidence across variable market conditions while securing a regulated environment that's backed by multi-billion dollar liquidity contributions from the Bullish Treasury. Follow at Bullish on Twitter or visit thewolfofallstreets.link slash bullish to learn more. Not investment advice, digital assets, and cryptocurrencies are high-risk products. Consult your professional advisor before dealing in them. Bullish's services are available in select locations only and not to U.S. persons. Visit thewolfofallstreets.link slash bullish for important information and risk warnings. And like you said, that will be solved. Um, pivoting away from crypto for a second. Listen, I know that you've had notoriously great investments, a lot of them in your very long career. What was the worst investment that you ever made? And what was the key mistake that you think you made uh, when you decided to take that investment? Well, I've had plenty of mistakes and plenty of errors. The important thing is I don't make them twice. And so as an investor, you're not going to get it right every time. I learned from every one of my mistakes. I cry like a baby when I lose money because it's hard to make it. But the, the, one of the biggest lessons I learned is I like to put my mistakes as lessons. Um, at a time when multi-user games were, were taking off, um, I went to one of the large telcos and I had a pretty good track record in the software business and said, look, I think there's a way to turn this into a multi-offering cable channel. So that instead of you having to buy subscriptions for one game at a time, let's give you 50. Let's aggregate it and split the proceeds across the different providers with one single streaming service. I was a little nascent, a little early, but the telco liked it. I won't mention which one it was. And we spent two years and a lot of my money getting this platform up and running. The difference between a startup, an entrepreneurial startup that's able to pivot very, very quickly and a giant telco is day and night. You can't get anything done overnight in a giant telco. It takes months. Yet we needed their infrastructure to make this thing work. That was a massive failure for me and it taught me a lesson. I'm never partnering with a behemoth again. I'm not gonna do that. I'm always gonna work with my team, find great developers, build up a business and then sell it to a strategic if they want it. But I'm not gonna partner with them anymore. That's a lesson learned the hard way. It was very expensive but I'll never forget it. That, that's a great lesson. And I'm really curious if they had been able to move faster, do you think that the platform would have been a success or was it one of those cases where maybe you were just too early? As you said, it was nascent and maybe you just had an idea because now obviously we've seen this massive boom in gaming, right? It's one of the biggest industries in the world. So obviously uh, you're on the right track. I No, no, that, that company was going to be the first to do this and it would have been very valuable had they executed. And I look, you, you always blame your partner when it doesn't work out. I'm sure there's, <laughs> lots, of fault. there's lots of fault on my hands too, but it, we were very, very early. We had an incredible team. 
I went back and got the best developers I knew, and we built this thing out. It, it was nascent, but the, the growth was you know, 30, 40% a year in gaming, even at that time. And so it, it, I think it, you know, it's just one of the ones that got away. But luckily, you know, I've, every day, I've got, right now I've got 35 different private positions on in all kinds of different companies in all 11 sectors of the economy. Some are winners, some are losers. Each day, and I always say this to people, I get a call in the morning, it's euphoria, we're getting sold for $100 million or whatever it is. And then a minute later, somebody saying, I need you to send me another half a million, I'm going bankrupt. You know, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's the passion play. It's a complete, and I, I've grown to deal with it. It's sort of like portfolio analysis. You're not going to have only winners. You're not going to have only losers. But luckily, I've had more winners than losers, and I get a pretty good return each year off this portfolio. What do you make of the new movement towards play-to-earn gaming since you've been in that space before? Is that something that's exciting to you? Do you think that it will work out, or do you think it'll be a flash in the pan? No, I think it is going to work out. I, you know, I, There's been a lot of talk about you know NFTs inside of gaming as well, and letting you trade your token after you've been awarded it. I don't think that's going to happen the way people think because I don't think the gaming companies want their IP trading away from them. So we'll see how that develops. But the, the whole idea that you can use your skills and be rewarded based on your ability to be a good performer is the essence of what gaming is all about. And now you're able to monetize it. Um, you know, I think that will work. I think there'll be a lot of experimentation to it. And also, you've got to be careful when you drift into that space that you're not breaching any of the gambling laws. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of that risk as well. That would be a state by state mandate, which really confuses a large gaming platform that one player in New York can do something someone else in Florida can't do. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's been a problem for DraftKings online, any kind of online gambling, poker, we've seen it in real time, and especially in crypto, right? Exchanges that have the, uh, have the guts to even try to operate in the United States have to go state to state. It's a very difficult system, almost impossible to be compliant everywhere. Yeah, the way it manifests itself when you look at the income statements of these companies, to the extent you can see them, is their customer acquisition costs keep going up every year. The complexity of know your customer and knowing where, how to geolock them and make sure they stay compliant off their mobile devices as they travel around the country is a nightmare, is a nightmare. And it's very expensive. Yeah. So we obviously both agree that inflation is a problem. You talked about your entrance into stable coins, trying to fight against that. Crypto aren't the only assets in the world that you can use to hedge against inflation. What other hard assets are you still interested in, even though you've made this foray into crypto? I still have a 5% weighting in gold. Uh, I use two different versions of it. The uh, the ETF, so I can rebalance on a quarterly basis. And I also pay to store bullion. And I've had that on my book forever. Um, gold performs during inflationary times, but I've also looked at other hard asset classes. Um, I've got a massive watch collection. Uh, I've been collecting watches for years now. The appreciation in the last 18 months is stratospheric. I mean, I just look at the my FP Jorns that I bought some at 28,000. They're now trading 130,000. 20 months later. And so you know, some of these very eclectic uh, high art watches have outperformed everything. And the market's actually quite liquid. People think, oh, watches are illiquid. No, they're not. There's a lot of platforms you can sell watches. The biggest problem with this space is fraud. The, 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 the price of these, these watches, particularly plat like Patek Philippe, FP Journe, um, Rolex, Patek, uh, EP I mentioned, 
that there, there's a lot of fraud to this. And so you have to have a way to authenticate them, which is why I think NFTs are going to come into the watch market with what, which, which is called micro scanning. You can take a micron level scan of the dial, um, put it into an NFT and, and rescan the watch years later, and it will still tell you if it was the original watch scan of any phone. And so I think we're going to start to see that kind of link between NFTs and physical assets, because it will also solve for insurance. Let's say I want to travel with 10 of my watches and leave the rest in a vault. So I don't, I can self-insure the ones in a vault. I just need insurance on the 10 I'm with that week. That can be done with an NFT too. And I can bid it out to three or four insurance companies and buy insurance for that period and save thousands of dollars. There's so much use case opportunity with NFTs in the jewelry market, the car market, the real estate market, any hard asset market with a smart contract, that's going to be a very big business. Could, could not agree more. And I love to hear that because usually we get into the conversation about the art side and the sort of JPEGs, which I think is largely a speculative bubble. The real use case of NFTs is provenance and eliminating any third party from a transaction where they're unnecessary, right? And when you combine those two things, it's endless. I don't see how someone can't be bullish on NFTs when they really dig in to those use cases. They're already seeing it, right? People authenticating wine, another place that there's a lot of forgery uh, faked. But it, it will be very interesting to see that side of the NFT market develop. Is there a way to invest in that that you've seen? There is. There's a company called Immutable Holdings, again, was taken public um, in Canada on the NEO exchange. The NEO exchange is one of the more progressive. It certainly supports the crypto industry. Um, it is the owner of NFT.com. Jordan Freed is the CEO. I'm an investor there as well. Um, he is building out a curation system for anybody in, in, in that wants to issue NFTs. But because he owns NFT.com, you can imagine many of the S&P companies would like to have NFT.com forward slash put your brand here. And so they can curate their own NFTs in their own NFT space. And he'll be doing that. So I think, you know, there's lots of entrepreneurs out there. Um, I'd like to invest in them because you want to have multiple bets in, in space. I, I love to own the picks and shovels always, not just the asset. I own gold, but I love to supply picks and shovels. And that's why I bought Wonderfy in the exchange and Immutable Holdings. And I'm an investor in FTX. I mean, these are, these are core assets for the long term. And I think I'm, I'm anticipating there'll be very good returns as over time, more features are built in and the regulator regulates. I think that's been sort of the unspoken narrative of 2021. 2020, we talked about MicroStrategy putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And we came into the year thinking that everybody was going to invest in Bitcoin. But what really happened was institutional money, instead of buying Bitcoin, came in through VC and is flooding the space with money in the picks and shovels. That's where people are really interested. That's where the big money is coming in. Yeah, and I, I'm very fortunate because I get to see a lot of these deals. I always want to meet the team as I've done for decades and you know, pick my, uh, pick my teams because you're betting. I go back to what we started this conversation. It's all software. There are no coins. It's software. If you get that in your head, it's much easier to make investment decisions. Yeah, I, I love that position. You have this huge watch collection. They've appreciated by hundreds of percent. Do you ever get tempted to just sell some of them because maybe we're in an asset bubble? Here's the challenge with that. When you get to a level in watch collecting where you know the makers, you know the maisons, you know the brands, you know the watchmakers themselves. And, and I've, I'm very fortunate, it's taken decades, but today I don't buy many production watches. I have these great maisons make me one of a kind. And I fund that. I don't ask for anything for free. 
But many of my pieces are one watch in the world. That's it, just one. And it's made for me to my design. Um, and, and I honor, I honor the watchmaker in doing that. And th there's no such thing as flipping while I'm alive, a one of a kind watch. I mean, if FP Journe makes me a, a one of a kind FP Journe, it's because he personally made that decision to do that for me. The chance I'm going to sell it while I'm alive or he's alive is zero. Meanwhile, people are calling me up saying, can I get an NFT of that dial? I know I'll never own the watch, but I'd love to own the NFT. And I won't issue that until the maker themselves is part of the smart contract, because why shouldn't F.P. Jorn get a piece of that? He created it. He's alive. He's the Picasso of the watchmaking industry or Roger Smith or any of the great makers that I work with now to create these remarkable pieces. But when these are issued to me, you know, the value of these things is, well, to me, they're priceless. The one downside is I come home and my wife looks at me and says, I'm going to hire somebody. You need professional help. You have so <laughs> many watches that you can't even wear 10 of them a day anymore. And you still couldn't get through your collection in a year. You got to stop. But I said, why? I work really hard. This is the one thing that I do. She said, that's not true. You've got 50 guitars. You've got <laughs> 80 cameras. It's all true. But look, I'm obsessed with this stuff. I like to collect things that are beautifully made. And that's exactly why NFTs, even in the other iteration, the art side, over time, the good stuff will succeed. People, I think it's just a part of our human nature. We want to own things other people don't own. We, we love scarcity and we love collecting. I don't know what it is about human nature, but I think everybody feels it. No, it's, it's true. But what I've learned, and going back to watch market, for example, I'm really encouraging people to dip their toe into this. You do not have to spend a quarter of a million dollars to get an incredible watch. I'll give you an example. Longines, you can spend 500 bucks and get a really high quality dial. Grand Seiko, the most underrated watch in the world. I have multiple Grand Seikos. They're as good as Patek Philippe in my view. Fantastic, just the, the crunch of winding then. You know, getting into these different brands, Avanti, amazing company out of Australia. It's so much fun to work with these entrepreneurs the same way I do with software engineers. These people love what they do. They create one of a kinds. I'm going to be wearing a one of a kind at Bitcoin 2022. It is going to blow your socks off. You have never seen anything like this. And I love doing that because there's a real correlation between the Bitcoin community and watch oh, yeah. collecting. Yeah, because people who understand scarce hard assets that will beat inflation uh, seem to come together. Well, where can everybody follow along with everything that you're doing after this conversation? And of course, check out Wonderfy. Yes, yes. Well, Kevin O'Leary TV is my handle on pretty well all the social media platforms. I, I like to have a lot of fun on social media. I share my ideas there on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I've got millions of followers. I love their feedback. One of the things I'm going to be doing before Shark Tank season 14 wow. is every year I pick eight watches. There's eight different looks. I wear the same suit, so I don't have to keep changing. But if you look at Barbara, she's got eight different outfits. Or Rory, eight different outfits. So for each one of their outfits, I wear a different watch. And I actually go out to my social media community. I pull maybe 30, 40, 50 watches out of the vault and say, okay, let's pick eight. There's no more fun than that in the world. The, the amount, the diversity of opinion on these watches is really fantastic. I love doing it. I have noticed that you always have a red band. Yes, that's a remarkable outcome. It, it started back in season four of Shark Tank. I showed up. Uh, for season four, and I was wearing you know, a different color band. 
And this woman named Artemis had just taken over wardrobe. And she looked at me and I was, she came in, we were doing the trial before the first rehearsals. And she said, where's the red band? I said, oh, I'm not wearing red band this year. She said, yeah, you are. You're wearing a red band forever on Shark Tank. You wear a black suit with a red band. That's called continuity, my friend. Now chop, chop, go get a red band. So that's all I wear now. Every single watchmaker knows my red band and they make the red bands for me because I can't wear their piece unless it has a red band on it. And so it's a crazy outcome, but she's right. Continuity really matters on television. People have a certain expectation of what they're going to see and it upsets them when it's not what they expected. She's a genius that way. But now what I do is all my new pieces that are being proposed each year, I send them to her. I have her look at them. I say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I, her, she's got a great eye. And you know, just determining which of the dials we're gonna go with. Listen, there's, this, there's no more fun on earth than picking watch dials. That's as good as it gets. It may sound crazy, but it's my kind of crazy. Well, listen, it may be a small nuance, but it's something that I've noticed from watching the show from basically from the very beginning. So whatever she did, she's doing it right because I noticed that you uh, wear a red band. I have to say that I think seeing the transition from obviously being a Bitcoin skeptic, we all watched you, you know, on TV with Pomp arguing with him to being such a huge uh, ambassador and proponent for this space has been really inspirational. And I hope that uh, other billionaires like yourself are inspired to, to do the same and, and jump in the water with us. So thank you for I that. Yeah, I got to tell you about that Pomp video. He he sticks that to me every week. He, he's got like this revolving loop on that thing, and he just jams it to me every time. He has so much fun with that. It's ridiculous. That was years ago on Squawk Box, right at the time of the height of the regulatory pushback on tokens, coins, and, and asset, you know, asset classes that were tokenized. It was brutal out there. And Pomp was that singing the merits of Bitcoin. Good for him. But believe me, he he never lets me forget it. Never. He's he is he is relentlessly getting after it every day, as he always likes to say on, on on Twitter for sure. And and listen, to be fair, yours was probably the majority opinion at that time, right? And like I said in the intro, strong opinions loosely held. Yeah, no, it's it's fair. But as an investor, you've got to keep your ear to the track. You have to understand when the, the regulatory environment's changing, which it has for crypto in many jurisdictions. It's even getting better domestically, and as an asset class. You know, I'm sure I'm going to get up to 20% by the time in the next couple of years, which is what I'm maxed out at. So, you know, we'll see what happens. 20% is big. We'll look forward to seeing that. Thank you once again for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Really enjoyed. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.